Welcome to the Truth For Today podcast with your host, Joseph Franta, international minister, speaker, and Bible school instructor. Stay tuned for today's episode. Hello, we're here for another podcast of Truth For Today. I'm Joseph Franta of Joseph Franta Ministries. I'm your teacher, and we are going through the book of Ephesians. Uh, We have numerous episodes out already, and now we're going to record some more. We're going to start today in Ephesians 4. We're going to pick up there. We've completed the first three chapters, and now we're going to really get into uh, a lot of wonderful truths that, honestly, many Christians don't really understand, or they've never been taught. So if you'll stay with us today, you'll really be enlightened, and also you'll really have a firm foundation of the church, the ministry offices in the church, uh, Christian conduct, and uh, how to walk in the Spirit, uh, how to keep from grieving the Holy Spirit, and Uh, how to really walk in righteousness. So important, because the Bible says every Christian who has accepted Christ as Lord and Savior is the righteousness of God in him. Now, a lot of people don't really understand what that means, but righteousness is the ability to stand in God's presence as if sin never existed. Righteousness is a perfect standing with God, a perfect peace with God. The Bible says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, for tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So every Christian has the Holy Spirit. He's been poured out in our hearts. And what does the Holy Spirit pour out? He pours out the love of God into us. And if there's anything that you need in this hour, it's to know the love of God and also to be able to express it and share it with other people. The secret of success, really, in the Christian life is abiding in faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. That is the only commandment we have to keep in the New Testament in the church age is to love one another, uh, to love God and to love one another. So we are in a wonderful place in God if we're in Christ It's a place of grace, hope, love, and faith. 
So we have all those things working for us uh, to propel us forward and to make us a success in the Christian life. Now today, <clears throat> I'm going to start in, in uh, Ephesians 4.1. This is the Apostle Paul. This is a prison epistle. He wrote this while he was uh, incarcerated in a Roman prison. In Rome, we believe. Ephesians 4.1. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So understand something, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a child of God, son or daughter of the living God, you have a special calling. The Bible says in Hebrews 3.1, it's a heavenly calling. It is special. It is ordained of God. It is given by God. It's sustained by God. And uh, it's the greatest gift that God could ever give you as a believer is to give you a call to serve him in some capacity in the kingdom. So once we accept Christ, we're transferred out of the kingdom of darkness or the domain of darkness, and we're transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Now, so Paul's writing this from a prison cell. Verse 2, with all humility, boy, is that important today, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love. In other words, you know, we need to be very sensitive to everyone around us and not be self-centered and uh, demanding our own way, but, you know, to be sensitive to the needs of others. Maybe they don't agree with us on everything, and that's okay. But we need to love them. We need to be a servant of Christ to each and every person we're around. And we need to be respectful and honor people as God honors them. You know, God honors people. And, uh, of course, you know, he honors those who honor him. But, you know, if you're honoring God, God's going to honor you. So now we have this exhortation from Paul to show forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, this is so important. Maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know, there's just a lot of finger-pointing, criticism, you know, judgmental spirits. Uh, and if we're not careful, we can fall into the trap of being critical and judgmental uh, of even our brothers and sisters in Christ or leaders in the body of Christ because maybe they don't hold the same doctrines or beliefs we do about the Bible. But let me just forewarn you about this, caution you about this. You know, it's so important 
that we don't criticize our brothers and sisters, that we don't judge them. Uh, even if we don't agree with what their beliefs are or what they're teaching, we need to love one another and we need to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Instead of uh, judging a leader, maybe they have made a mistake or maybe they're even a fallen, uh, you know, have taken a fall. Uh, instead of judging them, we need to pray for them to be restored. Uh, because, you know, who is without sin? You know, Jesus said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Uh, that's a pretty good illustration of not judging anyone. Because there's only one judge. The Bible says in the book of James chapter 5, there's only one lawgiver and judge. That's Jesus Christ. God the Father has handed over all judgment to the Son, and he is the only lawgiver and judge. And so our job is to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And, you know, sometimes you're going to get offended uh, by brothers and sisters or by, you know, church members, church people. It's okay. You know, uh, you can take it. You can handle it, and you can overcome it based on one marvelous gift from God, and that is love. Love's a gift. You know, the love of God, uh, it says that mercy triumphs over judgment. And so, don't be quick to judge, but be quick to love. Don't be quick to criticize, but be quick to uphold and restore. And, you know, as far as you're concerned, be at peace with all men. And, uh, you know, Jesus said, judge not and you'll not be judged. I like that uh, truth that he, uh, you know, presented us because that's how we keep out of being judged ourselves if we don't judge. So I have a kind of a rule that I keep. I would hope that all believers would keep it, and that is don't judge and criticize anyone in the body of Christ, especially people in leadership. Hey, you know, pray for them. Uh, you know, your your doctrine may not be perfect. Uh, in fact, my doctrine may not be perfect. I may find something out uh, next week, next year, uh, about something that, oh, I didn't know, I didn't understand, I was ignorant of. So let's give everybody a little room uh, to, uh, you know, hold a different uh, slant on things than we do because we're all growing in the knowledge of God. And so enough said on that. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, there is only one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. So, you know, there's only one body of Christ. There's only one Holy Spirit that lives in all of us. And uh, we're called in one hope of our calling, and that's to be like Christ. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, and I, I just love this verse, 
one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's right. Underline that little phrase, in all. Because we are in Christ, and Christ is in us as born-again believers in Christ. But here's a, uh, just a fabulous truth. God the Father is in us too. It says that the Father is in all, so we know that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. We know that we're a temple of God. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. Paul exhorted us about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So we actually have the Trinity, the full Godhead, <laughs> deity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all residing in us at the same time. Wow. We have the wisdom of God. We have the righteousness of Christ. And we have the life of the Holy Spirit. Honestly, we have it all in Christ. And as we learn to walk in it, uh, we will be the most blessed people on the face of the earth. Think about it. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all residing, living, abiding in you 24-7. Uh, the more you meditate on that, you'll never feel weak again another day in your life. Verse 7, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So every gift from God is a grace gift. You cannot earn it merit it, work for it. It's not like getting, say, a, a degree or certification in something that you've worked for, you've labored for, no. These are grace gifts. These are sovereign gifts from God that he places within your life for your ministry, your uh purpose to be fulfilled on this earth. Let's read it again. But to each one of us, see, no one's been left out, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So there are different measures of God's grace. That's very clear here. But there is no gift that is insignificant. Verse 8, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, referring to Christ, he led captivity captive, or he led captive a host of captives. Those are all the people that uh, you know, died in faith, but they weren't able to go to heaven yet because Christ had not died and uh, rose again from the dead. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led cap captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. The first gift he gave was salvation. Then he gave redemption. And along with all that is wrapped, along with all those gifts is wrapped, 
eternal life is wrapped up in them. Salvation, redemption, righteousness, eternal life, sonship, heirship, on and on it goes. Amazing. This, Paul said, is a great salvation. It's, it's, it's an amazing work of grace that Christ has done for each one of us to give us sonship, heirship, a righteous standing with God, perfect standing, perfect peace. I tell you what, if we meditate on these truths and truly understand them, we won't be depressed, we won't be you know, shaken by anything. Because when you know who you are in Christ Jesus, it puts you above it all, seated with him in heavenly places. That's why Paul said, if therefore you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind or your affections on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth, for you have died with Christ, and you are seated with him in heavenly places. Wow. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed, all right, with him in glory. This salvation is a with him salvation. It's an in him salvation. It's a through him salvation. And it places us above all authority, dominion, principalities, and powers. It gives us a place of complete authority and dominion over all the works of darkness. It gives us a seat. We're seated with him. People think, well, I'm just, you know, sitting down. No, no. That seat he's talking about, where we've been raised up with Christ and we're seated with him, seated together with him in heavenly places, it's a seat of authority. Just like a president or a king takes their seat on the throne. Well, it does say that we're seated with him in heavenly places. He's on a throne. This is a, an amazing truth. We are seated in a place of dominion and authority, a place of power over all the host of hell, over all the princes of darkness, over sickness, over disease, over lack, over poverty. You know, all these things are part of our wonderful salvation through Jesus Christ, through the shed blood. I want to mention one thing about the blood today because, you know, the blood of Christ says we weren't redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold, but, but with the precious blood of Christ, 
Now the Bible says the life is in the blood. But Jesus' blood was different because it was heavenly blood. It was the Father's blood. Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit and it says the Holy Spirit hovered over her and there was found to be in her the child Jesus. The bloodline comes from the Father and at that point she had never known a man so it was the Holy Spirit. She was with child by the Holy Spirit. So if life is in the blood, uh, the blood that Christ carried, which is, you know, the Father's blood, was Zoe life. The life of God is Zoe life in the Greek, which is divine life, eternal life, unending life, indestructible life. So when you plead the blood of Jesus in faith, the Zoe life of God that's in the blood of Jesus is protecting you, guarding you, putting a hedge around you. It says in the book of Revelation that they overcame the devil, Satan. They overcame him by the word of their testimony and by the blood of the lamb. That blood, it says, and I think it's Hebrews that it, and also in he, uh, Revelation, it speaks, it speaks today. It speaks better than the blood of Abel. So Christ's blood has got the life of God in it. It's powerful to cleanse you of every sin, every ugly sin you've ever committed. The blood cleanses you of all spots, blemishes, sins, rebellion, and restores you to the life of God. Isn't that wonderful? You have the privilege, because of the Holy Spirit, on the inside of you, you can walk in the life of God every day. You're not subject every nasty thing going on on this earth. But you are living under, I don't know how to word it exactly, but in complete fellowship and relationship with God. You have a direct line with heaven and heaven has got a direct entrance into your life. So heaven's communicating to you through the Holy Spirit within you every day, and you can stand in the Father's presence in the very throne room of God boldly to receive mercy and grace and help in the time of your need. Wow. It's amazing, the salvation that we have in Christ. Verse Nine. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? 
He who descended is himself also who ascended far above all heavens so that he might fill all things. And actually, in the Greek, it's fulfill all things. He's already filled all things. He made the universe. Jesus was the creator of all things. So he's already filled heaven and earth. But here in the Greek, it actually means he fulfilled all things through his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. By the way, it says there, and I don't want to spend a lot of time with this, but listen to what it says. Verse 8, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? Now what does that mean? He went to hell after he died for three days and three nights, and Jesus prophesied it. He said, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. People, a lot of people today say, oh, he never went to, oh, yes, he did. He paid the full price. He paid the price on the earth through dying on the cross for our sins, but then he paid the penalty for sin. It's one thing to sin, and it's another thing to suffer the penalty. So Jesus paid the price for our sins. He was the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. He was our substitute. He died in our place. But he also went to hell to suffer the penalty of our sins, the consequences. And then he rose victorious. And then it says in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, that he has the keys of hell and death. Well, where did he get them? Took them away from the devil in hell. He rose victorious from the dark domain. There's a song all about that, and there's scripture to back it up. It says he rose victorious from the dark domain, and he lives forever to reign. And you can reign with him. You know, what a great savior, what a, what a great salvation. He's, he's dealt with sin. He's dealt with Satan. He's dealt with, you know, it's all about victory. The Christian life is all about victory. If you're sitting in a church someplace and they're not preaching victory in every area, then there's something amiss. Because the Christian life is all about victory. Victory over sin, victory over death, victory over the grave, victory over sickness, victory over poverty, failure, and defeat. It's all about victory. And so we're going to teach you about the victory, how to see the victory that Christ accomplished for you, and how to walk in it every single 
day of your life. Today is a victory day for you if you're in Christ. May not feel like it, may not look like it, but by faith in God's word, your faith will turn everything around and make it a victory day. So we're going to teach you more and more about how to get in faith and stay there. Faith is the victory. Verse 10. Actually, verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. These are ministry gifts or ministry offices in the church. They're all active today. People say, well, you know, they, they, some of them have passed away, you know, uh, apostles and prophets, you know, they passed away. You know, that, that's so unscriptural. That's ignorance gone to seed. Because these are all part of the office of Jesus Christ himself. He was the apostle, still is. He was the prophet, still is. He was the evangelist, came to seek and to save that which was lost, he still is. He was the pastor, the good shepherd, he still is. He's the shepherd and guardian of our souls. And then he's also the teacher. And uh, he still is teaching us by his spirit today. So none of these gifts have passed away. It's just that people have not been taught about the, the gifts and they've not been taught how they operate and they've not been taught how they function in the body of Christ. These gifts are not titles, by the way. These gifts are functions that are given to certain members of the body of, the, body of Christ for this reason. It says, and I'm going to read it again. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service or ministry to the building up of the body of Christ. See, the body of Christ is edified and built up when people function in their gift. That's why, you know, when you go to church, uh, you need to be in a church where you can function in your gift. And, you know, you need to be in a, in a church where all the gifts of the Spirit are, they have functionality. In other words, maybe you don't, maybe every church doesn't have all five gifts, that's fine. But you know what? They can receive those gifts if they don't have all of them by, you know, traveling ministers coming to their church, imparting that gift of an apostle or prophet or evangelist. But I will say this, the pastor is, the pastor of the local church is the head of the church. That is how God designated it, and I, there's a lot of scriptures to support it. Uh, of course, the pastor is the under-shepherd, uh, under Christ, but I'm saying that, uh, you know, the pastor is the one that God has placed in the church 
by the Spirit as the overseer uh, to uh, oversee the work and to guide it and to lead it. And the pastor should be supported. The pastor should be uplifted, honored. And, uh, you know, we need to really respect, honor, and financially support our pastors. Uh, they, they need to uh, have everything uh, they need to uh, do the work of the ministry and advance the body of Christ. So uh, you should never, ever have any motive other than being uh, supportive of your pastor and uh, honoring your pastor and respecting the authority God's placed within them, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's so important. When everyone is in unity and behind the pastor's vision, woohoo! great things always come. But when there's disunity, oh, man, it makes the pastor's job all that more difficult. So uh, walk in love with everyone and support your pastor. Okay, so I want to go on here and just say this. All these gifts, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, are for the equipping. So there's an ability in each ministry office to equip us in some way. Give us something that we desperately need to fulfill our lives and to build us up, to inspire us and equip us to go forward in the work of the ministry and to fulfill the calling, individual calling that God has on our life and on our church. You know, God has a great calling on every church. There, just because, you know, some people judge a church by numbers and, uh, you know, that's really not scriptural to judge a church by numbers. Uh, and, and I'm all for numbers, but I'm just saying uh, a church is a house of God, a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And God's got different assignments on different churches. And there, a church may be a smaller church. That doesn't mean they're any less significant or any less powerful in the, in the realm of the Spirit or any less effective for God in accomplishing his plans and purposes in the region, area, or sphere where they are located. So let's quit being, uh, you know, let's stop comparing ourselves with one another, and let's start being spiritual and seeing people by the Spirit and uh, not by... Uh, physical, natural, uh, you know, measurements. Okay, now, onward. Okay, so it says here, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the Spirit. Here it is again, unity of the Spirit. Second time it's mentioned. Un until we all attain to the unity of the Spirit and of the knowledge of the Son of God 
to a mature man or woman to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. This is God's end game for the church, that every one of us grow up into the fullness of Christ. That all of us as a family, because we are God's family, we're God's children, God's heirs, that all of us would work together and we would forbear one another in love. You know, in other words, hey, look, uh, we're, we're not the most important thing in the church. You know, the important thing, in the, the most important one in the church is Jesus and then everybody else, and then we're third. <laughs> you know, the world doesn't teach it that way, but we're third. It talks about that in Philippians chapter 2. In fact, let me turn there real quick because I want, I want you to see this because, you know, it's not all about us and people recognizing us or recognizing our ministry. You know, stop promoting your ministry. Uh, let God promote your ministry. Uh, you know, uh, it's so important. L look what Paul says here. Philippians 2.1, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. There's unity again. Maintaining the same love. United in spirit, there it is again, unity, 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 intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard each other or, or one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. This is freedom. To regard other people as more important than yourself. You'll quit thinking about you all the time, and you'll start thinking about others all the time. Well, thank you for being with us again today, and I really appreciate the opportunity to bring the Word of God to you. And, uh, I pray God's richest and best blessings over your life today. And we'll see you next time on Truth For Today. And until then, let the love of God flourish in your life.